The Andy J Podcast. Hey, welcome to the very latest episode of the Andy J Podcast. I hope you're having an excellent week and things are going really well for you. Fascinating guest for you today. Really interesting chat. Tom Kerridge is a chef who, well, everybody knows him because he's just done so much on TV, as well as his persona around the fact that he's also made this incredible transformation of himself. I mean, anyone that's lost the sort of weight that he's been able to lose and continues to do so and then changed his entire mindset and approach to life is always going to captivate the imagination of the public. And I'll tell you what, he's really, he's just a really interesting fella. Not to mention, of course, one hell of a chef. So let's jump straight in, shall we? I just want to flag this one for you as well, though. As a special bonus episode, another Andy J podcast is coming out. If you're listening to this in real time, another episode is here tomorrow. And that is with England legend Teddy Sheringham. Because, you know, slap bang in the middle of the Euros, we might as well throw some cool footballers your way. Harry Redknapp last week, Teddy Sheringham this. I thank you. Happy days. Right, let's dive straight in, shall we? Here we go. It's Tom Kerridge. The Andy J Podcast. And I am so pleased to welcome my very special guest. He is one of the nation's most beloved chefs. You've either eaten his food or seen him on TV cooking up the ultimate delights. And hey, you might even got fit with him. It is the one and only Tom Kerridge. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you, Chief. How are you? It, you know, it occurred to me, Tom, you're a man who means so much to so many people now, which must be really bizarre. Well, why do you think that? What do, what do you mean by mean? What do, what, do, what do you mean? I mean, because we followed your journey. Obviously, you came to fame like forever ago now. I mean, this is, the, you know, you've been a, a public persona man for such a long time. You've been a big star for ages. And so we've watched you and we've grown with you and we've eaten with you and drunk with you and now we've worked out with you and we're about to start cooking outdoors with you. That's what I mean. Oh. You, you mean a lot to a lot of people. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, well, it's been... It's all kind of a bit by accident. Like, you find yourself when you open a business and you're a chef and then you get the chance to do a little bit on telly, like in the Great British menu and you try and be yourself the whole time. And this journey, the one thing that... I've, always stay true to is just being true to yourself and not being not getting caught up in anything else i'm a chef that cooks and most of the books are, are, are dishes that i cook at home and for people to cook at home so it's nice that people come on the journey and uh, of, of authenticity that's what we like I, I absolutely i think your style tom i've been very lucky to have spoken to a lot of chefs from john burton race to james martin and tom akins and so on and and there is that sort of one thing that you all seem to have in common is this sort of desire and determination to stay down to earth to stay true to your roots it doesn't matter about the cars the cash even the michelin stars it's about making sure and remembering where it all started well, do you know what? When you're connected to food, the reality of it is that you're connected to food producers, and food is something very real that everybody, you know, we all eat. You know, it's something that we all do. It's not something that's just there for a chosen few. Everybody partakes in it. So, it's, if you can use that skill set and reach as many people as possible, and then when you're surrounded by people who produce food, when you meet farmers and fishermen and and people that are growing produce or people that then, you know, make cheese or, you know, brew beer or 
everyone's it's a real down-to-earth bunch of people that are surrounded in the food industry that are all led by passion and that's a really nice thing to be involved in and, and, and be around because there isn't really any prima donna or airs and graces around it it's about being passionate about what you do well there's also the graft that you've put in as well tom isn't there you know you've all because you've all had to work these extreme hours, we hear about these incredible stories of, of how chefs start out and the number of hours they have to put in and how exhausting it is and, and how consuming it is. I think that means you never take your, your status for granted because you've put the effort in. That's it. It, it is one of those industries that, you know, I, but I think it's the same as everything else. If you work really hard at what you do, the rewards will come. The harder you work, the the luckier you or you are, the the better you become, the more you learn, and and and, and yes, you know, chefs and in, in, in the hospitality industry in general, you do work hours or you work at times that people would normally be off. You know, you work in the evenings and you work weekends, mm. so you live a slightly different, more left field kind of way of life. You you are pushing, and and then the harder you work, the more you can achieve. But I think that's the same in every role, isn't it? It doesn't matter what job you're in. I think if you work harder at it, you'll achieve more. Well, yes, but but you are in that unique thing, as you pointed out, working weekends and so on, and often working late into the night. I mean, you you reference in the new book, which I'm really looking forward to talking about, by the way, uh, that that one of the the sort of discoveries you made was at three in the morning at the end of a shift abroad, and you just kind of stumbled onto the streets and were hungry. And it's like, well, not many people are still going at three a.m., Tom. You know, this is a night in, night out thing for a chef. Yeah, yeah. For for a chef's point of view, it's at three a.m. That's still like there's there's still partying or hanging out or conversation to be had. So it's yeah, yeah. You you kind of give up on sleep, but you do get on with living a life, and that's you know that is the beautiful thing about being a, a chef and a cook is that it becomes much more of a way of life rather than it being a job. You know, we don't go to work, you know, and then and then finish it, and then you do something else. Being a chef is what you are it's who you are it's it's all encapsulated in your whole life so that is you know i consider myself super lucky you know what I, I don't have that kind of monday morning feeling you know that, that some people have you know sunday night going to bed going oh i've got to go to work tomorrow you know we all have bad days at work but in general i spend most of my time thoroughly look forward to the next thing that involves food and whether it's planning it menu planning designing kitchens looking at Spaces, growing stuff, like being around it. it. It all creates a wonderful, exciting thing. I'm, I'm living a life that's around food, and that's amazing. I think this is brilliant, Tom. I mean, look, the, the new book, Outdoor Cooking, it's the ultimate modern barbecue Bible. I have... Honestly, I have devoured every page already. I've, I've sat there and just gone, I've got to try that. I've got to try that. I've got to try that. And there's, and there's a lot. I mean, it's, this is not light on food here, Tommy. It's not like you've kind of said, here, let's do some barbecuing. There's, there's a few cool burger recipes. You've filled it with masses and masses and massive ideas. So I really want to get into some tips that we can give to our listeners because barbecue season is upon us and the weather hopefully will, will be kind to us over summer. But before we do that, can we talk a bit about you and, and your journey and, and how you've got to where you've got to? Because I find your, your personal story utterly fascinating. And I wonder if you'd be kind enough to talk us through it. Would, would you be cool with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I walked into a kitchen when I was 18 years old. I was, you know, I needed some money and a job and I started washing up and I fell in love with the industry and the space and the people and the, you know, the, the heart and soul and the excitement and the buzz and the adrenaline and the you know, the pressures and the stresses of kitchens, I thought it was great. And, you know, I, I moved from washing up to doing a little bit of cooking. And then 
from there, it kind of just grew and grew and grew. And that was obviously in the West Country uh, at the beginning and then moved up into London in my very early 20s and have been down in the Southeast for the rest of my life. And, and, and it's very much home, you know, it, working in and out of those basement kitchens and in the heart of all of London, you know, it's so it's such an amazing and incredible city. And then to be able to grow and open the Hand of Flowers 16 years ago with my wife, Beth, and, you know, now have a restaurant in the centre of London as well. Like all of these sort of spaces, it's just been such an incredible and fun journey to be a part of. And yes, you're right when we talked about it, hard work and hours. There's, there's been some gruelling shifts and many, many, many days in a row with not having days off and getting to that point. But actually, you know, I wouldn't change a single bit of it, you know, to get to the point of where we are now. I find what I find most encouraging from that, Tom, is you said that you walked into a shift age 18. And actually, I'd always assumed that chefing was like a vocation. You were called age five or six or something and, and you're just drawn to, you know, sharp <laughs> knives and onions and the smell of whatever. But but to hear that you can start as late as 18 is and, and achieve the level of success that you've had is oh, it's brilliant news. I mean, it's yeah, well, for me, but you know, <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> No, but I, I, I think it's kind of like anything. If you go in with enthusiasm and, uh, and love and the, the, the one thing to learn, you know, if you found something that you love doing, it isn't work, then, is it? It's, it's actually, you know, it, it's never a day of work. It's just existing, doing what you do, whether it's being a car mechanic, whether it's being a dentist, whether it's being a gardener, whether it's a, you know, you're just on and that's the way that your life is. And I was very lucky, you know, that I suddenly found this incredible, exciting, vibrant industry. And no, I wasn't drawn to it because of the food. I was drawn to it because of the, the, the way that the industry operates. And then from that, you start gauging and loving food and understanding standing and looking at the processes and meeting the people that's involved in it. And it does become this uh, all encapsulated, incredibly exciting industry to be a part of. So yeah, I was very, very lucky that 18, I found it. I think this is this is really cool, Tom. And and actually, you could have taken a different route. I'm not sure how many people know this about you, but it is on the record. You were, as a child, you were something of a star. I'm thinking Miss Marple. I mean, you you had a star a starring role in Miss Marple when you were when you were knee high to a grasshopper. Oh, well, I wouldn't say starring role. I was about 16, 17 years old, and I, I, I kind of I left school. Um, with very little in the way of qualifications. So between the ages of 16 and 18, my mum kind of called my boss and you. So I was just kind of like hanging out, not doing very much, you know, just being a naughty boy, smoking cigarettes at the park. And just, we needed something, it needed to focus on something. So my mum sent us to a, um, I ended up in a youth theatre with one of my friends, which was great and thoroughly enjoyed it. But actually like a couple of weeks after being there, um, an agent came along and uh, asked if I'd like to sign for their, for, the, for them. And I was like, yeah, yeah, why not? Let's see what happens. You know, I like it. I've gone through life saying yes to pretty much everything. So I ended up um, saying yes. And then a couple of weeks after that, I ended up filming a Christmas special of Miss Marple. So it was a, it was all kind of quite good fun, but it wasn't, it was never going to be the industry for me. Don't get me wrong. I love actors and I love watching movies and great, you know, television. And But it's never, if your job is pretending to be somebody else, I find that quite a, like your career is, let's pretend to be somebody else rather than being you. I, yeah. I mean, I think it's amazing that people can do it and do it so well, but I've always wanted to just be me rather than somebody else. Yes, yes, that makes sense. Tom, from what I can see, and we, I look at the number of restaurants you've opened, the food festival, the hotels, the catering companies, the books, and 
I mean, more TV shows than you can count, actually. You've done so much. Are you, do you need to be constantly busy? Is, is that something that, that you search out and you, or is it just a byproduct of what's happened? No, I, is, I, yeah, I need, I, I get bored very quickly. So I, I've got a really short attention span. So I need something to be, I'm, I'm, I, I always need to be late for something or be doing something else than the thing that I'm actually doing. That's the thing that keeps me happy. Like the thing of going, I've got to do this next, or I've got to be there, or I've got to be doing that. Where's next? Who's a, what hat am I spinning now? Like, so I'm talking to you right now, but I've already, you know, been into the Hand of Flowers today to have a discussion about a kitchen redesign and some heat lamps. And I've already been, you know, had a conversation with another one of the restaurants. And then I'm always, you know, speaking to people at the book or doing whatever. Like, there's always, there's always something that's slightly different to the other thing that's going on all the time. But I, you know, I think some people may stress out the idea of that. Like my, it, my my wife hates. She's the complete opposite. She likes clarity and a clean mind to be able to do what she does. She's an artist, so she needs she needs it all to just be a bit clearer and freer, so that she can just concentrate on one zone. I work better under a lot of pressure with lots of things going on, throwing ideas around and being. But it's got to the point now, and I've got to the age where I kind of come up with the ideas and create the chaos, and then I expect everybody else to pick up the pieces and solve it. <laughs> Which is the perfect situation, isn't it? Chaos maker. You can just call yeah. yourself that. That would be brilliant. Exactly. I can, I can see it when, when they're in service in any of the restaurants and I turn up, they're like, oh, no, he's here. What's he going to do? What's he going to make us do? What are we going to change now? He's going to ask, why is that butter like that? What's the What's the bread like? What, why have we done that dish like that? Who's moving that? Where does that, you know, you can see their heart sink when I turn up. <laughs> <laughs> Is it quite strange? Because obviously with the Hand and Flower, which, which of course we have to, we have to talk about the success of the Hand and Flowers because you, you picked it up as a sort of ramshackled rundown pub and, and turned it around in no time to become the only pub to, has, to have ever received two Michelin stars. I mean, that's, that's staggering and almost beyond belief when you think about it. And I imagine you still pinch yourself when you kind of go, actually, wow, this is this is nuts, and then yeah, do you know what the, the biggest thing about that is? It, 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 it is incredible and it's amazing, and, and as a, obviously as a personal achievement as a chef and a cook to achieve two Michelin stars is one of the biggest things that you'll ever achieve in your career, and it's phenomenal. And I'm so proud of it. But the thing I, I'm most proud of is the people that have come on that journey with us, the right. staff that have been with us from the beginning, and. The, you know, some people we've worked with for over, you know, over 20 years, you know, we've known each other on and off and are in the business and are, are all big building blocks and a part of kind of creating and building something. So, yes, I mean, it, it sounds like it's like one person, but it's not. There's over 200 people within the group. And, you know, there, there, there's within that, there's at least 50 people that have done so many years with us that have been, they're just part of building and creating this huge kind of like, consistently solid model at the hand and, it, and it's it's a testament to everybody else that's the most amazing thing about the hand of flowers yeah oh that's a that's a really lovely way to to sort of hear you talk about it tom i mean obviously you've, you've got the hand of flowers then you've got the coach and the butcher's tap and carriage bar and grill the bull and bear i mean there's a lot of places for you to be staying in charge of so so i guess where i'm coming from tom is 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 it a bit surreal sort of knowing that your name's on the door, you've set the menu, you've trained them, you've shown everybody what you want, but you obviously can't cook in every place each night. You simply can't. It's There, there isn't enough of you to go around. So is it strange thinking your food is being served up by other people in so many different places each night? Is that a weird thing to think about? 
Yeah, massively. But it, the only reason that they all these places exist is because it's a testament to the to the, the the guys and colleagues and friends that have grown with us as a business. So each place, I've not wanted to go out and chase and open. I've never had the dreams of being a restaurateur with multi sites. What's happened is because we, we we've grown as a kind of like a big family of people together. That each site is, is, is people that have been with us for years. So Sarah, who's head chef in Manchester at the Bull and Bear. She's been with us for about eight and a half years. Tomo, who's head chef at the coach, he's been with us for nine years. Jamie, who's head chef at the hand, is over 10 years. Nick, who's head chef at Carriage's Bar and Grill, is 11 years. So all of these people, and that's just the chefs, not including the front of house. We've got sommeliers, we've got management. We've got so many people that have been with us, like 10, 11 years. And that's so, that's so important to how the business has grown. Right, right. But but what is it like for you day to day though? Do you just sort of choose one and rock up and, and cook, or w- will you just go and observe now? No, I, I get in and I kind of kind of observe, kind of make. Um, you're much more in the world of a restaurateur now. Like I cook, and yes, we're there. Yeah, nothing changes at the hand of flowers without me seeing, tasting, being a part of it. We work very closely together. But you also have to allow people to grow personally and professionally. So, you know, you have to give chefs a little bit of leeway. Not It's not just this is my way or nothing. It is about how do you create, what do you do, what are you doing, where do you see that the way that the business is growing and moving. And, and so we very much leave that the business is run with the same rich DNA that is evolved from the hand of flowers. But we also let the chefs kind of be themselves as well. So they allow to adapt and grow. So if they go on and win Michelin stars for themselves, they're winning a Michelin star for themselves in our, one of our restaurants. Those, so they, they're creating and growing with the big support that's around us. I like that. And I'm relieved as well, Tom, because I had this sort of slight fear that you were making all these TV shows and doing your new podcast and writing all these books and so on, and still every single night going to a different one of your venues and, and cooking each night. And I was thinking, how? I mean, how on earth? That just, you Yeah, well, I tried to... No, I do try to touch base in all the spaces all the time. So I was at the hands today. Um, I will be there tomorrow and I will then be into London um, for the evening service, I think. And then I will be up into Manchester in the following week. And you go into the, I try and be in each place at least once a week. And then, but I might not be there for two weeks, but then I'll be two days in it, if you see what I mean. So yeah. we're always constantly trying to touch base with all the places. But I live in Marlow, which is, you know, a, where three of the spaces are. So they're very easy to visit. Right, right. Yeah, and, and at least you're capping yourself. If you're going to a place once a week, Tom, you know you can't open more than seven. You know, that's that'll do. I, I do know that, yeah. No, I, I have no desire to have loads and loads of restaurants. To be honest, for them to be successful, for them to work, it has to feel personal and right. And, and that's where... That's 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 why we're we're at the point where we have enough now. That's it. That's <laughs> the space. There's no more. We, we're happy where we're at. You know, we're, we're opening a little space in Harrods. We're opening a fish and chip kind of uh, counter in Harrods Food Hall. But it's oh, cool. it's still that which oh yeah, it's super cool, amazing. I mean, Harrods Food Hall is such a magical, magical yeah. space. So to be a part of that is, is is like incredible. I remember going as a young child and just thinking it's the most incredible space. And now to be able to open a little fish and chip counter there is great but it's not a restaurant as such it's 25 seats sat around the counter where we're doing fish and chips so it's 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 lovely it's great but we have no desire to grow another restaurant in terms of 
um, I, I suppose something that's specialised in, in what it does. We're we're very happy with where we are, and uh, you know, actually, that after the last year that the hospitality industry has had to taken a bit of a kick in, we need to get back on our feet and we re- regather our thoughts and our and, and 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 the process of making the business work. Yes, yes, I, I hear you a hundred percent. Although, Tom, let's be fair. Now, if the phone rang and it was maybe a dream team of David Beckham and Mark, Marcus Rashford teaming up together. Tom, we're buying a place. We we need you to we need you to set up the restaurant. You're not saying no, are you? No, I. Do you know what? We've already got a restaurant that's in with uh, a Premier, Premier League footballer. We're, we're we're there with you've Gary got, Neville owns the hotel. Here, yeah, I, I we've got that, Neville but... and Gigi who owns the Stock Exchange Hotel, and we run the restaurant, the Bull and Bear, in that. So I, I'm very happy. I'm already in partnership with some Premier League footballers, and we don't. We don't need any more. I mean, Gary Neville. <laughs> Gary Neville is enough. That's great. He's amazing to work with. I don't think we can take Gary and David Beckham. I was testing the waters on behalf of Bex there, Tom. I'm going to get back to him. That's has a he sent you a text? Has he? Yes, is it, has he sent you a text asking? <laughs> that's a hard pass. Then that's a no to David Beckham. <laughs> First person that's ever said no to him. But there we go. <laughs> We'd welcome him in for something to eat, but I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not up for doing another restaurant. I, I don't know. Unless I suppose it's in LA, you know, next to the beach somewhere, you know, <laughs> that would be really nice. Yes, although might might set yourself a bit of a challenge if you're checking in every week, Tom. I mean, that's that's quite a that is very a true. Yeah, yeah, it is quite true. <laughs> hey, who knows? Maybe we just have to move there and get a beach house somewhere in LA. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool, oh, doesn't it? Can you imagine? I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, all you see, the world is your oyster, Tom. When you the, the status that you've got and the caliber and the renown, does does that appeal? Does that you know? Could you just up sticks and go right? Yeah, we're going to do LA for three years. No, I, I have to be honest. I'm, we're very set where we are. I love where I live. We, we live in Marlow. I've got you know, we, we, my wife's got a studio at home. My little man's settled in school. We're all like, I, I have no. I'm very very lucky. You know, we we we've set our stall out. We worked very hard to get to this point and. Now it's just a case of maintain. I'm not interested really of uh, of any kind of like overseas restaurants or tra- uh, travel. Lovely holidays, great. Um, when we can all get back to doing it, that would be uh, you know amazing. I can't wait for that. But I, I, an overseas restaurant is, is not something I'm interested in. Fair enough. That's a, so. It's a definite no to Bex. It's. I mean, he knows it now. He's got the message. Yeah, he knows Tom. it now. That's, that's yep. twice I've turned it down now. So yeah, <laughs> don't ask a third time, Beckham. Step away. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll introduce him to Angela Hartnett. Who knows? Andrew probably do it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, see, then you've been involved in some capacity. I love it. Well, now I was testing the waters there, Tom, because I would. When you say something like, you know, we've got enough now, but then with knowing the sort of things that you achieve and these wonderful adventures you sort of seem to set out and and, and deliver on, I sort of thought, well, maybe, maybe is maybe it's never enough. You know, maybe you'll always have that hunger to keep kind of chasing the next exciting thing. Yeah, I'm always looking at doing something exciting. I always want to do fun things, but I think now that we've got we've firmly established where we are in restaurants we can do exciting things through those restaurants and it is that organic growth of staff that have made the restaurants open and move but we're now at a point now where staff movement and growth can now be through the restaurant so if somebody is moving from a a junior chef position to a senior one if there isn't one in the restaurant they're in there's undoubtedly going to be one somewhere else within the group Mm -hmm. so we haven't got to lose staff we can keep them within the group and move them and that's where that exciting kind of vibrancy can happen now we don't need to be opening restaurants to help people we can help them by staying within the ones that we've already got and that, that and that's where it stays very solid and true 
And it means that that foundation and DNA that we set up in the first place can still maintain those levels. There's a real family to feel to that then, isn't there? Uh, definitely. That's exactly what we're aiming for. Oh, I love that. that. That's absolutely brilliant. It's sort of job for life stuff, isn't it? Which, which is, I mean, the dream, especially in this current climate and everything that everyone's had to face. Um, yeah, exactly. Tom, it's, it's, a, it's a well-known story that you've, you've told plenty of people before, but it's our first time talking, so I hope you'll excuse me for asking. But can we, can we discuss your sort of her, almost heroic level of weight loss that, that you achieved historically? And, 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 and it's something that, that you are known for because it's, I just still find the, 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 the process utterly remarkable. Are you, are you cool chatting through that? Absolutely, yeah, no problem at all. I mean, I got to the point where I was um, 39, approaching 40, and it wasn't, it wasn't a health issue, obviously, there would have been, but it was a case of going, it's that age, it's that reflection on how old you are and where, you're gonna, where you are, what you're doing, what's happening in, in your life. And, I, I, and, you know, you do kind of think, okay, I need to do something here. So, yeah, I made a massive change, a lifestyle change. I, Stop drinking, stop trying to be a massive idiot and, and just kind of got to grip with my life. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, it's such an eloquent summation there. <laughs> can, we, can we talk about the, the massive idiot side of things? Because you, you, you sort of talk about how you stopped drinking. I think you're seven plus years now without a drink of alcohol. Um, but from what I've sort of gleaned, alcohol was quite a, quite a companion to you for some time. Yeah, massive. Like, I mean, I would quite happily admit that I have a an, an issue and a problem with alcohol. I have a problem with excess. Um, I have a problem with dealing with, like, everything has to be 100%. So when it came to drinking, it wasn't, there was no such thing as a single drink or a glass or a, a wine or a, a beer. There's, it just doesn't exist. Uh, that, in fact, that probably doesn't exist in anything in my life. There's no such thing as doing a single thing. If you're going to drink, you get stuck in. And I was getting stuck in every day. So you just go right. This is, I've got to, I've got to get control of this, and the only way that I can control it is by not doing it. It's not. It's something that was controlling me to the point where I, you know, I have to go. Nah, I have to cut it completely. So, so yeah, alcohol was one of those things that I had to get rid of because you know I have that personality where everything is excessive and everything is over the top and everything is massive. And then if you couple that with drinking, you then become start making daft decisions as well. So if you're excessively behaving under the influence of an excessive amount of alcohol, you start making decisions that are, are like borderline ridiculous and stupid. So it came to a point where I go, I have to, this has to stop. I have to start getting to grips with myself and get a little bit more sensible. So, so yeah, so those were the, th- that, that was kind of the turning point. Those, those are the things where it just went right. The booze stopped, trying to get to grips in my life and trying to get um, on top of it. And then obviously, and then since, since stopping drinking, we, we then opened, you know, it looks like I've replaced it with even more hard work of opening restaurants. So that you know that excessive behaviour has just focused into going right. What should we do that's exciting with food and restaurants? Yeah, I mean that's quite quite the trade, though. I mean that's amazing, isn't it? So I mean, were you able? I I stopped drinking just over two years ago myself, and it, it sounds like your relationship with alcohol was was perhaps more. I use the word lightly, but perhaps more dependent than mine. Mine was sort of social and and sort of partying, whereas I think by the same yeah. things, yours yours was a little more of a, uh, a dependency. Um, but nonetheless, I, I sort of expected to start feeling great benefits and lose a lot of weight and all the rest of it. And to be honest, two years in, I, I still really fancy a pint of Guinness and I don't necessarily feel like I've lost much weight. Have you? Were you able to just <laughs> stop drinking and that was that? You turned the tap off and you didn't need to do it at all again? Or yeah, or did you no. Harder? 
no, it was very, very difficult. The first year was very difficult. There were a couple of times I fell off the wagon in the first year, like my 40th birthday. I thought I'd have a drink on that, and it that turned into a five-day bender. And then, <laughs> you know, they, they, there were a couple of moments in that first year, and then after that, I go, that has to be it. It's done. And yeah, no, it is very difficult. I find it very, very hard. And still, I would say still do, but actually probably not. It, it's quite easy to remove. And people think that it may be harder to remove from your life if your world is in the world of hospitality, pubs and restaurants and bars that, you know, serving something that you, you're a part of. But it's, it's actually become, it's a little easier to switch off from it because it is now part of my life that I serve it. I have, I, I deal with it, but I don't have anything to do with it, if that makes sense. It's yeah. not that my, my, I don't, I don't associate it now as a treat or something that I relax with. I actually associate it as um, I actually associate it as um, something that is uh, that is something that I sell. So it's not right. something that becomes. It's not something that I, you know. I don't see it as a switch off point where it's, I did before. I think if I wasn't in the world of it, I'd always associate it going back to it. You know, if I had a normal nine to five job and I tried to not drink, then it would be. I think it would be a lot harder when you come to the weekend. What do you do instead? You know, okay. it, for me, it was just a case. I'm around it. I work very hard. Now I just sell it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, Tom, w- what am I doing wrong here? Because, like, I'm a couple of years out of it, and uh, as I say, I haven't. Not only have I not lost any weight, is it because I've replaced it with cakes? Do you think? Because I, I do seem to <laughs> at least be at the same weight, if not slightly more. Yeah, do you know what? That was the biggest thing that I found when I stopped drinking. I actually suddenly discovered that I had a sweet tooth. So alcohol <laughs> is massive, massive on sugar that you don't realize that if you're drinking so much, you're taking sugars that aren't sweet that your body's taking. The moment you stop drinking, you start then craving the sugars that yeah. your body's got used to. So yeah, you may well have replaced a, a, <laughs> a, 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 a pint of stout with a, with a chocolate cake. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've been, yeah, I could have a hot chocolate now, and yeah, why not? I'll have a bar of Cadbury's. Fine, you know, loads more than I used to for sure, definitely. Yeah, well, that that'll be it. You've got, you've got, you've you've got to swear of them as well. You've got to turn yourself into like almost a fun sponge. You've got to become. <laughs> you've got to be a non-sugar eating, non-cake making, non-drinking, non-smoking, dull person like me. That's what you have to become. <laughs> And then, and then try go running and swimming and get on the bike and do and that's what you become <laughs> well it's worked for you tom so maybe i should maybe i should be following your ways i mean you you discovered or you created rather discovering is is not doing you a, a service at all you created the dopamine diet i mean to be fair just in case our listeners aren't aware of this tom you know we, we sort of mentioned you, you stopped drinking and i've said you've lost some weight You've lost a lot, mate. What was it? Twelve stone that you lost? Yeah, yeah. My the initial weight loss was about twelve stone. I've put a couple back on since then, but that's kind of like through bulk of, of being in the gym and and weight. I lost a lot of weight without going to the gym, and I just swam all the time and kind of like leaned out a little bit. And then I've I started going to the gym quite a lot, and I put on, I suppose, a bit of bulk and mass from from lifting heavy stuff up. So I try and get to the gym about five or six times a week, and um, whether that's whether that's doing weights or whether that's doing stuff on one of the watt bikes or whether it's swimming. So I try to get involved as, in, 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 and try and try and find that fitness level that I'm quite comfortable with. Where at the same point, you know, it's the same daily battles that everybody else has. Is trying to find that balance between weight loss and health and fitness and enjoying yourself. And it's quite it's always a, it's quite a difficult one, but I think once you're in it. Yeah, it's it's a lot better than being completely unbalanced the other way. 
Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. So so the dopamine diet, which is which is one of the ways uh, alongside your fitness and giving up the booze that, that you've been able to achieve this incredible weight loss. If I'm correct, this is effectively a diet where you still have the highs from food. You just don't have the as much fat from it. Is that right? Yeah, no, no, fat's a fine. It's sugars. You actually, it's sugars and carbohydrates. So it was kind of focusing on, on a lower carb diet, which worked for me professionally because it meant that I could still taste all the food that we were cooking and still do everything. I just swerved the chips and the bread and the pasta and the rice. So for that sort of stuff, that, that that's where I, you know, I lost the weight going down that route. So it was able to, and then concentrate on the really high, um, good proteins um, and really good vegetables and fruits. That that in turn was, was the release of, of, the, of the dopamine levels that were more on a constant basis. Rather, so when you have sugars and when you have say a chocolate bar and you get this really high buzz, that's the high um, dopamine levels being released that then actually crashes and burns. Actually, it disappears. It goes. You know, you get those peaks and troughs. Actually, it's trying to try and find and maintain a normal level. Right. Right, so it's it's sort of a, a steady balance, as it were. Yeah, it's absolutely trying to find just trying to find yourself into that zone of of trying to get out of the sugar trap. Really, I love the sugar trap, though, Tom. That's the trouble. I love it. Yeah, see, that's the problem, and it's the same. That's kind of the same as any form of addiction. Like you get it, you get the buzz and the high, and you get the crash, and then it makes you need it again, and it's those up and down. So it's trying to eliminate that. However, it's a lot, that, that's very, very difficult because your body craves it in, in terms of balance. So it's trying to find it in the right way. You can see I'm kind of turning you as a guru here, Tom. I mean, is it, you've got to tell me, hand on heart, is it worth it? Because I, I can see myself trying this, but I need you to reassure me that it's going to be worthwhile. <laughs> you know, is, it, is it good? You'll find your energy levels are much more consistent. You'll find, like, listen, with any form of weight loss or fitness, all of them work, all of the diets work. You just need the mental strength to stick to them. So... And the way you'll get that is finding one that suits you. You know, find the one that suits you. That way you'll stick to it. And that way you'll get those same results. Yeah. I, maybe I can just do the cake diet and see what happens. You know, just call it a diet yeah. and, and, and just live with it. <laughs> I don't know. I had it? a little look at that, but I don't think it exists. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear uh, well Tom look you, you very astutely you sort of asserted that the one of the triggers for you for, for the big lifestyle changes was the, the sort of awareness that you were approaching 40 you were closing in on 40 which of course is uh, you and I are very similar in age and it's it's it has always been from our youth it's always been that sort of moment in time hasn't it that, that you you build towards there's there's almost a pressure around that word 40 isn't it you're going to be 40 years old you've got to be a grown-up you've got to have all this sort of things that, that, that an adult's supposed to have in place etc and it sounds to me like you know that was that was a a catalyst for for your big changes you're not miles off of the next big one 50 you've got sort of two and a half years to go is that looming large in your mind already or are you not too bothered these days no, I'm not too worried about it these days. I think I'm much more in, like I'm in a much better, more balanced space. And I think a lot of people say that, well, don't they, with the difference between 40 and 50. When you get to 50, you can, like birthdays, they all merge into one now, don't they? You don't really care. You've had so many. You just go, <laughs> yeah, whatever, happy birthday, it's fine. I think 50 is a big one because I think most people find themselves when they're at 50, they might have a small or a little bit of financial security. They might be able to spend or go big on their 50th birthday with something special and, you know, and they are 
heading towards going, okay, well, I might have like 10, 15 years left of working before I want to kind of step back just a little bit. But I think, I think, you know, as a point of reflection at 50, it's very different to 40 for me. We're in a much more stable and secure space, uh, um, even though last year was very, very bumpy. I just mean in terms of, I suppose, mentally and, and business-wise, you just go, okay, I, I kind of know where we're at. And also you're worldly wise, aren't you? You realize what is important, what you do need to worry about, what you don't really need to worry about, where you can move on from. And that just all comes from life experience. So 50 is just the number. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fine. Good. So uh, as I say, I am looking to you for answers here, Tom, and you're, you're serving up quite a few, which I'm, which I'm relieved by. So thank you for that. I, I can, I can start to calm down on all these fronts. <laughs> yeah. Fifty is just a number. <laughs> I hope, you, hope you're appreciating this pressure I'm putting on your shoulders, Tom, to have the answers for everything. I was, yeah. Was it, wasn't quite expecting a self-help session with you, Tom, but it's, uh, I seem to have turned it into that. <laughs> so, so thanks for having the answers. Let's talk about cooking outdoors because I, I must say I'm so excited about your new book has just delighted me because I'm, a, I'm an atrocious chef. I mean, I'm really, really, really rubbish. I'm fortunate to have a wife that's brilliant, but I'm rubbish. However... I do take my, my barbecuing very, very seriously. I, I'd see it as the only thing I can do. There's something about that naked flame and throwing some meat on a grill. I love it. Yeah, it's great. It does appeal to, please don't take this the wrong way, but it does appeal to the most basic kind of animalistic caveman-like That's standards. Is That's it? Of cooking. Me. You yep. just go, yeah, yeah, meat, fire, that works. <laughs> you know, I, and people enjoy that. And it, it, you know, I think that suddenly people think barbecues are quite gender specific. It's all about the blokes, but actually, you know, I, I think, I think, I think if your your wife probably loves the fact that you do the barbecue because it gives her a couple of day, days off of going. Exactly actually, it. you get out there and cook yeah. it for yeah. You you won't go near the kitchen, but you'll go near there. Okay, off you go, knock yourself out, mate. Like help yourself get going with it. But the book is much more about it being much more. Um, family friendly user friendly uh much more generic about cooking outdoors rather than it being that kind of almost nerdy barbecue style that a lot of people get sewn up into yes it does touch on everything that you need for cooking outdoors in a barbecue and you can get quite nerdy about temperatures and smoke levels and all of that sort of stuff but this is i suppose a much more kind of user friendly and universal way of looking at outdoor cookery it's loaded with tips, Tom. I mean, starting from the very basics where you just kind of say, look, you don't have to serve everything at once, which is something that I've always made the mistake of. I've always felt like everyone should have everything, when you know, wait till it's all ready and then have everything. To, but you immediately just go, nah, just serve it when it's ready. Just chuck it out there. People will love it. And it's just... Absolutely. Little bit... Yeah, this is what like people that. love. Yeah, well, that's it. People love that social space. They love hanging out in the garden. If the weather's good, you've got friends around, you've got loads there. Cook it, serve it as it comes, bit by bit. Drip feed it a bit like papas food. You know what I mean? Just keep throwing it out there, bit by bit, and it works really, really well. You know, it's, it's, it's just because you've only got that one space. And, and barbecues are, are so lovely because you know it becomes that outdoor kitchen. If you think of the best dinner parties and the best uh, kind of spaces where people are, if you think of it, people then normally end up hanging out in the kitchen. Well, now you've got the kitchen outdoors, the sun's out, friends around. You got get you know. Loads of loads of beers and drinks stood in a big bucket with a load of ice that people are helping themselves to. It becomes much more informal and becomes much more about that fun social space, which is why it's really good to just cook things bits at a time, throw them out there, let people have them, you know. I, and that's why it works really nicely. It's not like a formal dinner 
where you cook it and you all sit down at eight o'clock and you have this, you know, it's not like that. It's a case of help yourself whatever you want. The kids are on the trampoline, running around in the garden, kicking a football, doing whatever. They come and grab food whenever they want. That's why barbecues and outdoor cookery suits family style or, or, or friendship, social gatherings really, really well. Absolutely. Well, you, you have missed one thing, though, Tom, and I've read the book cover to cover. There's, there's one thing that you haven't addressed, so maybe we can remedy that now, which is yeah. that one person that will always be there who has the solution to dealing with the wasp. Because there's always a wasp, isn't there? There's always that wasp that's drawn to the glaze or the Coca-Cola or whatever. And there's always someone that's like, just be really still and it will go away or whatever. What's the best? What is the solution? I haven't got that. If I had it, I'd have put it in the book. What is the solution? (laughs) Well, that's my point is everyone has a different thing. Some people try and trap the wasp, you know, under a a glass and carry it away or whatever. Other people do the whole SWAT thing and then you'll hear the crowd going, no, no, you'll just make them more angry. You can't do that or whatever it might be. And then you've got the old adage, which is just stay still, which is what I tend to do and what I tend to say to people. Deadly still, it'll move on from you. But I reckon maybe yeah. the secret, Tom, thinking about it now, is to set a small portion aside for the wasp, specifically for the wasp. We'll put that there in that corner of the table. No one sits over there. The wasp can help themselves. I like that idea. That's that's good skills, that. I like that. That's a good one. Or <laughs> maybe we just give give away a free wasp, kind of like, like a, a wasp and fly spray with every book. <laughs> well, yeah, you'd need to have a chat to the publisher then, Tom, because it's out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will do. <laughs> it's going to set you back a bit if that's the if that's the solution. Now, Tom, it's, it's, it's rare that I get to a cookbook where literally I want to eat everything because there's, you know, everyone's tastes different and so on. But I, I, I was before before we were chatting, I was like, well, I've got to ask you about this and this and this. And I can't ask you about every dish because that would be ridiculous. But one of them that has stood out for me is the Korean barbecued beef, which not only looks incredible in the photography that you've got in the book, but it looks really easy to do as well. And I'm thinking I could have a run at this. Yeah. Do you know what they are? So many of the dishes are super easy to do. And, and, and so much of it comes from the flavor enhancer, the marinade or the dry rubs, you know, the kind of things that you put on that, that give it that kind of that like super kind of flavors and, and, and taste. And that's, and that's where it becomes, you can get much more depth of flavor. It becomes a bigger thing and you enjoy it that little bit more. But yeah, the Korean fried beef, you know, a lot of that will come from the marinade where, where you're sat and where, where it's got that kind of lovely flavor that takes on from the, the, the gochujang paste, which is absolutely lovely. The harissa butter, the, the stuff that goes with it, it, it just makes it a big, big, you know, that, that, that wonderful flavors. You get the, the, the soy sauce, the sesame, but also actually using bavet steak is a really nice thing to do mm. because it, it, you normally look at rump steaks or, or sirloins or fillets, but bavet is one of those ones that you cook. No, it's got to be nice and pink, otherwise it goes too chewy. So you go, right, okay, well, let's make that marinade work and let's get the whole thing going. And it, it does taste absolutely delicious. It's genuinely got me excited. I mean, I'm genuinely like, I, I'm going to really cook this thing. I can't wait. <laughs> you know, it just looks yeah. so tasty. Look, Tom, you're the master. You've, you've done a whole book on this. You've, you've made your life out of being a sensational chef. If you could just tell us, if you, if you were to invite us around now to a barbecue at Tom's house, what are you serving? Tell us what your ultimate barbecue is going to be. Because I need to know now because I'm so hungry. <laughs> just so- 
in in the world of book writing, you kind of every time you write one, you go on a voyage of discovery, and you kind of look for things and flavors and and things that work really really nicely. And I don't know anything or didn't know anything about West African cookery until this point. And the lovely thing about outdoor cookery is that every part, everywhere in the world has got their own kind of version of it and flavors that work with it. But there's these suya beef skewers that we've put into the book. And this suya kind of kind of seasoning and paste that goes onto the beef that gives it such a wonderful flavoring. And it's got those normal kind of smoke breaker, chili, um, ginger kind of flavors to it. But it's also got peanuts and allspice to it. And it's mm. such an incredible flavor. And it's not hot and spicy, but it's just so packed full of flavor. And it's absolutely delicious. So that is what you'd be having. You'd be having some West African style um, suya kebab. Brilliant. I'm putting a post-it note in the book and I will attempt them for myself and I'll do a sub substandard version and it'll still taste delicious, I imagine. Yeah, well, that's the thing about barbecues. They're very forgiving. <laughs> yeah, everyone can, <laughs> everyone can look okay. I mean, Tom, it's, yeah. it's, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you. I've just got one question left for you, really, because I know that we're tight on time. If you're to cook one thing for yourself, barbecue or otherwise, it could be in the kitchen or with a microwave or whatever, what is the one dish that you still just go, oh, with every mouthful, because everyone's got one, haven't they? Everyone's got a dish, which which is just like, oh, that's... What's the one that you cook for yourself that you just know I, is the dream? Honestly, I love a bit of roast pork with crackling. But roast pork, crackling, apple sauce, absolutely delicious. The simple things are really well, you know, they can't get better than that. Boom. I love it. Perfect. Tom, it's been a, such a pleasure. Thank you very much for your company. I wish you all the success with the book. It's clearly going to be a, a massive, massive success. And I look forward to seeing what's next. Thank you ever so much, Chief. Lovely to speak to you. Nice one. Take care, mate. Thank you very much. The Andy J Podcast. I am so, so fired up to get the Barbie on now. I'm really, honestly, just looking through his book, well, as you heard... <laughs> Just really, really, really delicious stuff. So I think that's me for the next few weeks. I'm just going to cook outdoors and go for it, regardless of whether it's raining or not. Anyway, thank you so much for your company today, listening to the Andy J podcast. Really appreciate it. On the way tomorrow, if you're listening to this in real time, the brilliant Teddy Sheringham. England legend and of course he also won the Champions League with Manchester United and played for Spurs and various other clubs really great guy really looking forward to talking to him that's Teddy Sheringham tomorrow if you're enjoying the Andy J podcast we'd love a review in fact if you're enjoying the show why not tell your friends podcasts live and die on well often word of mouth so please tell your friends like subscribe review and share thank you